The Start On Demand. demand. 100,000 feral cats in Winnipeg? As the one-time program director at CJOB, Vic Grant used to say, Excuse me? That's what Craig Street Cat says we have in our city, and we'll learn more about it from the executive director of that wonderful organization. Things are not looking good for Justin Trudeau, as one of his cabinet ministers resigns in the wake of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Wednesday is World Lymphedema Day. What's lymphedema, you ask? Well, we'll introduce you to an inspiring woman who has found a way to fight back and help others while doing it. Oh, and there was kind of a big show at Bell MTS Place on Monday night. Barack Obama in front of a sellout crowd of 13,500, including Mackling and McNabb. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Tuesday, March 5th podcast for The Start. You guys were both there? Yeah. How was it? Barack Obama. I, you know, I was, I was very interested to see how it would go. I don't want to downplay it because it was, it was um, something I don't think you'll ever see in Winnipeg again in terms of, of an event. But we were in the upper area where media has to go. And so the, it wasn't like I was having this intimate experience uh, with the former president. We were above and the crowd below. I think the audio might have been better down there. I struggled to hear at times. And so he said a lot of fun and interesting things and took a few swipes at Trump without saying Trump's name. Didn't use his name once. Not once. But uh, for for me, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But as I was reflecting on it on the way home, I thought, okay, well, that was there were some inspirational moments. It certainly was part of the guy I thought I got to know via TV over the years. But I didn't, I couldn't say I loved it. We were on the outside looking in, and so I think I'm going to put my feelings about it aside because right. of where we were For situated sure. in the building. The building looked fantastic. The stage was stim- simple and elegant. Uh, I was surprised they had a beautiful tea set, a uh, sate. There was no fire. They called it a fireside no chat. No fire. But no, I thought there'd be a faux fireplace maybe or something, but no. And Barack Obama's drinking coffee out of a styrofoam coffee cup mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to... Anyway, it he, was it was uh, inspirational for an awful lot of people. Uh, we were under the impression 12,000 was the magic number last night. We came to learn... About halfway through the event, it was 13,500 people and uh, one of the fastest sellouts they've had in about a year at uh, Bell MTS Place. It was a special evening for a lot of people. Well, let's hear some of that. The world is, is fundamentally less violent, better educated, healthier, wealthier, more tolerant, uh, you know, more, more inclusive. Any time in human history. Now, admittedly, that's a low bar. You know, uh, maybe we should take pride that we've advanced a lot since Genghis Khan. Uh, but it's important to, to keep that trajectory in mind. And that response was very common last night. Obama's got impeccable timing with the crowd. He knows when to be silent. There was one silence that was a little bit awkward. The crowd thought he was pausing for applause, but as we've come to know, Barack Obama, deliberate speaker, takes pregnant pauses at times while he's collecting his thoughts. Mm -hmm. And he made a joke about how his mom once upon a time asked him about, why do you you speak like that? Why do you talk like that? So he was very self-reflective, very... 
Yeah, he admitted that he, he wasn't as big a rock star as his wife, which was interesting. Which he, is probably true. <laughs> he immediately talked about the weather. And he also, I thought one, it was a funny moment when right out of the gates, the moderator said, OK, let's talk about your upbringing. You grew up in Hawaii. And Obama jumps in and says, allegedly, because, <laughs> of course, all the, there's been all those claims, you know, that he doesn't have a U.S. citizenship and passport and all the rest. So he, he was funny for sure. He was very relaxed. And uh, after the program, I called up with a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Muhammad, uh, who he came to Winnipeg from Ethiopia at age seven. Last night, he was in the same room as one of his heroes, and the future nursing student shared his impressions of the time he spent with the former president of the United States. Well, I thought it was amazing. Magnificent. Like, he was very well-spoken. He took his time. Very inspirational. I loved it. What drew you here in the first place? Well, I remember when he first got elected, I was in middle school. And so he was kind of like an idol for me. He was an opportunity because being African-American, right? Uh, I looked at him as somebody I could be above. I don't just have to be a basketball player. I don't have to be a rapper. I could be president of the United States. So that's why. I'm, he was my hero. So I'm really glad to see him today. What's it like? I don't know. How close were you to the stage? Uh, not as close as I wanted to be. I wanted to be right up there with him. I wanted to like hold his hand, man. But it was good. Good seats. If you'd been able to ask him one question, what might it have been? Uh, if he has any regrets, just not even things he didn't do, just things maybe he could have done, just simple stuff like that. What uh, What were your impressions of the, of the reaction from the crowd? You got a very warm welcome. They oh, they loved him. I was amazed. My goodness. I expected that from uh, Winnipeg because we're so welcoming, right? Yeah, I think Jonathan's sentiments echoed the feelings and thoughts of, of many in attendance last night, if not most. It was quick. It was an hour and maybe six or seven minutes that he was on stage. And so it, when it ended, I thought, oh, no, I was just getting warmed up and really getting into it. But I don't know if I heard anybody on the way out complaining about anything besides how great it was to be in the room with him. There was certainly that feeling. Obviously, it was a crowd of Obama supporters. There was no hecklers or anything like that. And so he was speaking to his own in many ways, you know, the people who support him or would support him if they could. And I think people were infected or, you know, felt inspired by that. Stu Slayen is a Winnipeg author, caught up with him after last night's presentation. He was very impressed with the former president's oratory skills. I think he's uh, a gifted speaker. He's relaxed. He's sincere. He's a very positive voice in a tumultuous time. I know you're a storyteller yourself. So did he did he tell a story tonight? Uh, he told a couple of good anecdotes. He's got a fine sense of humor, great comic timing. Uh, I think he is gifted with language. Was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah. I, I, I was expecting, actually, he'd be at the podium for a bit, but I, the format worked really well. I thought the MC was uh, very good. Who was the MC? The MC was Michael Burns. He's from Toronto, but he'll tell us a little bit later on. I caught up to him as well, and he'll tell us about his connection to Winnipeg, and uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about him as we make our way throughout the morning. The victim's name is Jamie Adow. He was a senior at Tech Bok High School. By all accounts, well-known in its always, and well-known in Winnipeg's Filipino community. Sunday night, he was home with his grandmother when he heard someone trying to break in. He called 911, and police were quickly dispatched. But not before that break and enter turned violent. Here's Constable Rob Carver. I can tell you that there was a, um, a very calm and collected young man on the phone for the bulk of the phone call. And, uh, and it turned into a, uh, 
um, an absolutely gut-wrenchingly tragic event. The suspect was shot by police. We've asked this morning for an update on his condition. Last we heard was that suspect is in critical. He remains in hospital. We don't know if this was a meth-fueled incident. Police said it was too early to say that. But they don't believe there was any connection between Adao and the man who allegedly attacked him. Uh, but there's far more questions than answers in this one because what a terrifying ordeal for that young man to have been involved with now lost his life at age 17. We were talking this morning about, is this going to change... We the way you feel about crime in this city because we always say, oh, well, it's not in my neighborhood or it wouldn't happen to me or that's just an, that's that's happening to people who are involved in bad things or in gangs or in drugs. Well, police are saying this was random, unprovoked. The two didn't know each other and a 17-year-old is dead fighting for his life before he was eventually killed by this attacker. I think we go through a checklist and I'm not saying everyone, but I'm guilty of it. I go through the checklist. Gang-related Geography, is this in a part of town where this usually happens? And then now the question comes up about meth. We're already right away. We want to know, is this involved in any way, shape or form? And when you go through that checklist, I think it's an indicative of the fact that we're trying to justify not calling this a crisis. We're trying to justify not being concerned because... It That's wouldn't happen first. to me. That's if, what you would say. It wouldn't you want, happen to you me. You want to be able to say that every single time that I don't have reason for concern. Once again, something happens in our community and it goes across those lines. It goes beyond those boundaries, those barriers, past the checklist for a lot of people. Is it crossing off uh, another line? Is there a new line now on that checklist that, that needs to be added? And, and what word would that be? I don't know yet. I know that I am starting to be a little more vigilant. There was a situation in my apartment on Corden Avenue uh, about a month ago uh, where I went out to grab my friend and let him in. There was this guy behind him, didn't know who he was, but he looked like he was coming home. He was carrying a backpack and he just, he looked kind of sketchy, but just because I he had this weird look on his face. He followed my friend in, and I thought, well, that's a little weird. But he seemed to know where he was going, so we just went into my suite, and that was that. And then when I went out to get my other friends, he was just sitting in the hallway, just sitting there. So your there. instinct was right. So, yeah, he didn't. And it's my fault for letting him into the building without asking, but I don't want to quiz somebody who may have just moved into the sure. building. So he, he was sitting there. And then a half hour later, he was still sitting there. So I finally said, do I have to call the police? You clearly don't live here. And then this kind of same thing happened, apparently, in my new building where I walked off the elevator and someone had clearly been in our lobby uh, sort of going through cigarette butts that they had found on the ground to try to harvest the tobacco. So they got into the building through a double, like double security doors. They somehow got in. So the notion that this person could have been wandering through the building and maybe... In worst case scenario, broken down the door. So yeah, this kind of thing is starting to scare me a bit. Well, they're just probably checking door handles just like they are in your vehicle, right? Flipping door handles, going through your neighborhood. Is this open? Is it open? Is it open? Sometimes they'll break a window, but it's way easier for them not to break a window. Mm. So, But we often also, another thing on the checklist, so you mentioned geography, uh, the, whether meth was involved in terms of the suspect. Gang involvement. Gang involvement. I also look at the time of day, though. So this was 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. A kid in grade 12 is home studying for his exams with his grandmother, and someone forces their way into your home. I mean, it, it just it defies all the boxes that you may have had about what is or isn't, I don't even want to use the word acceptable, 
that you comfortable. might comfortable or that you might think would happen. Tomorrow is World Lymphedema Day. And if you're wondering, what's lymphedema? Well, you're about to learn about it from the person who taught us about it. Amanda Sobe is her name. She has lymphedema, but she has not let it stop her. And she has been working on something that can help those who have it as well. And she joins us in studio on 680 CJOB. And I say that with a tone of surprise because it's 638 and we don't often have people on the phone. Never mind. Visit us in studio all the way from Lorette. So, Amanda, thank you for coming in to see us today. Thank you. Good morning. So for those who don't know, what is lymphedema? Lymphedema is an obstruction in your lymphatic system. Basically, my lymphatic system doesn't work. Uh, There's two ways that you can get lymphedema. There's primary lymphedema, where it is congenital, or you're born with the disease. And there's secondary lymphedema, where it could be based on trauma, radiation, um, infection, and just compromises the lymphatic system in entirety. And it's where my right leg actually doesn't work. The rest of my body works, except in my right leg. And what happens? Like it swells up, right? It's a collection of lymph, and lymph is comprised of protein, so it swells up to become very dense, very fibrotic, scarred tissue to the point that it can be irreversible. How long have you lived with this? Uh, 18 years. So, you know, Brett in his introduction said that it hasn't let you, it stop you. You've gone beyond that. Not only has it not stopped you, you have become a, a major proponent not only of exercise, but you've competed uh, in uh, various uh, bodybuilding competitions, etc. So tell us how this has affected your life and then how you've flipped it around and, and turned this disease right on its ear. Yeah. um, So I uh, basically had this condition for 18 years, like I had said. And for the first 16 years out of the 18, it was a battle. It was a struggle. There was not a lot of information about this disease, as well as I didn't have the resources or the understanding or the knowledge to figure out how do I fix this. So I got very, very sick one day lying in bed and I was thinking to myself, okay, there has to be something that I can possibly do. And I started off, what do I know? And it was the basics of drink more water, get simple rest, you know, exercise and eat well, good food. But then I had to take my education and my knowledge a little bit further to understand what I ate actually affected me. There are certain food groups that caused me to swell more. Um, exercise, as wonderful as it was to exercise, if you exercise too rigorously, you'll swell even more then. So it kind of deters the average person from getting out there and being physical. Um, even in just my day-to-day life with my family and with my kids, it always just seemed to be my Achilles heel. And through enough diligence and patience and persistence, um, I was able to manage the condition very well, as well as turn myself into a bodybuilder, which I am a certified personal trainer to help other people overcome this disease. And even just the average day-to-day person who may not have this illness, but uh, get them back on the right track. Sounds simple when you just say, you know, eat better, exercise, all the things that we get told in life. But I'm curious for you, was this trial and error? Did you have a doctor kind of instructing you along the way? Or is this something you've done on your own to help yourself and help others? Thank you for asking. Um, This was actually 100% by myself. So um, I started off in university taking nutrition courses. I have a background um, in 
athletics. So I basically took my entire journey up until this very point and taught myself how to overcome it. And you're right, it was a labor of love and understanding what food does, understanding how it can affect you, just staying away from what I should and encouraging others to stick to what they do need to know. And as well as I cook meals every single day, not only for me, but for my children. So it just became a practice and now it's my life, right? Amanda Sobe is our guest. As tomorrow is World Lymphedema Day, and she is a huge proponent on how to fight back. She suffers from lymphedema. And when you encounter other people with lymphedema, like, do they ever say to you, well, do I have to be a bodybuilder to, <laughs> to beat this? Um, they think that I've set the bar incredibly high, which if you get to know me, that's pretty much my personality type. Um, but no, I think it's just a way that I like to promote people to encourage them to know that the days do get better. This is something that you can live with. You can seek better options. And now that social media is becoming a huge factor in awareness, we've been able to target. I'm actually worldwide. I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn and YouTube just to help people understand that there are things that they can do and they can start small, not becoming the bodybuilder, but just reclaiming back a little bit of mobility, making proper food choices, and just getting themselves back into that old body that they once had. I always find it fascinating that if we went to a doctor and the doctor writes us out a prescription, we are very regimental. Mm -hmm. We are very dedicated to making sure we take our dosage when we should and are aware of when we need our refills. The prescription for better health isn't that complicated, yet we don't really pay attention to it. Activity, more water, etc. This is the prescription is actually quite simple if we're just prepared to pay attention to it and be and be committed to filling the prescription. We're like babies. I think in general, right? <laughs> like we all need to be on a routine and it's part of how you develop your routine and just being consistent with it is the biggest ch uh, changer in anybody's life, whether you're a business person, whether you're a mom, whether you suffer from chronic illness, there are steps that are required every single day that you just have to commit to and suck it up, put your <laughs> best face on and just get out there and face the music, right? You've been getting ready to, to launch something. You told me that you've been working on something that can help those with lymphedema. What is it? I have my own company now that I am actually going to help counsel and educate others with lymphedema. I also offer personal training and motivational speaking to help those inspire them. Um, my name is Amanda Sobe, like the grocery store, spelt just the same. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and YouTube under am.sobe. And um, I'm actually going into another bodybuilding competition this year as right well on. for you guys. So I'm doing this for everybody else out there. And uh, I just hope to spread awareness, let people know that they're not alone and just let them know that uh, there are people that can make a difference. And hopefully they reach out and they ask me a couple questions in the meantime. We got to let you go in a moment here, but on that social media that you refer to, sometimes that you, you show yourself wearing these like compression stockings, I think is what they are. What are those? Compression garments. Um, I have daytime garments and nighttime garments. I'm always wearing garments. <laughs> so um, they basically help to uh, the lymphatic system operate better. They provide you 
compression because your skin gets so incredibly stretched from the edema that it can't support itself. So it's very important for people who do have swelling. Even in people who travel day to day for work, you'll find that your ankles start to swell. And it's very common in most people. Um, the developing of lymphedema is where it actually can't pass. So that's where compression garments do come in handy. And you just learn to love them. They mm-hmm. have to be fit properly as well as you do need a doctor's prescription. And the compression strength has to be 100% bang on to be effective because if it's too tense for you, it'll be damaging. And if it's too loose, it'll be ineffective. So I think it's cool that you're showing people all sides of what happens when you live with lymphedema, but also just the inspiration, the difference that might have made for you 18 years ago to have someone like yourself out there and that connection over social media would have been huge. And I bet you it's pretty impactful for people now. I would have loved to have somebody like me back then. And uh, it's really cool because every day I wake up and I get a thankful message that I wake up and I see first thing when I open my eyes saying that you're the reason why I've decided to take back my health or you're the reason why I thought that I could do something better. And to be just that little bit of a difference in the world is very humbling because it's not the reaction that I expected, but it's definitely welcomed. You're an inspiration, Amanda. Thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you for having me so much. Amanda Sobey is her name. Tomorrow is World Lymphedema Day, and you can, again, find her on social media, am.sobey, for example, on Instagram. If you had to choose any moment in history in which to be born, and you didn't know ahead of time who you were going to be, you didn't know whether you were going to be male or female, you didn't know whether you were going to be black or white, you you didn't know what nationality you'd be. You just knew you were going to be a human. And you had to choose one moment. You'd choose now. Barack Obama at Bell MTS Place last night. (laughs) Mackling and McNabb were there. And now we're joined by Moore, Braun, and Fortier to talk about who would you have a fireside chat with? That's what they called it last night with the teapot sitting there and Barack Obama ignoring the teapot, drinking the coffee out of his styrofoam cup. Also wearing black socks with brown shoes and a navy suit. Yeah, very, noticed very that right away. I was Michelle like, obviously wasn't there to <laughs> help him get no, around. That. <laughs> There's nothing wrong Jeff, with it. There's nothing wrong we'll with it. We'll have a chat later. What color do you wear? The, what, what socks would you wear? Uh, Should be wearing navy blue socks to extend your leg. Or you could have wore, wore like, now socks or... Or funky like socks. funky socks. But like, yeah. definitely anyway. not black with funky socks, socks with the brown shoes. No, does not work. Does okay. not work. Good to know. <laughs> anyway. That's important fashion advice. I only <laughs> own black socks, so... But I don't have a navy suit you or brown shoes. I'm not having dinner with Jeff Braun. Yeah. So, Jeff Braun, who would you have dinner with? Uh, I would have uh, dinner with uh, my grandpa, Grandpa McDavid, because he died when I was two, and I never got to know him. And everyone that's older than me in the family says I'm exactly like him. Oh, so, cool. I think that would be fun slash infuriating for both of us. So. <laughs> Throw down Why would it be infuriating? To have two people that are exactly the same, that sometimes doesn't always work. <laughs> hey, but I think it would mostly be fun. And yeah, it's, as, uh, it's not a regret because I couldn't have done anything about it, but I, it always bums me out that I never got to know him at all. Forte? Well, mine would be Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. The oh, yeah. Just I because, bet he's a messy eater. Well, <laughs> the, I would like to hear how many stories he has. Cause, uh, if you've ever read The Dirt, the Motley Crue uh, storybook, yeah. it's uh, it's something else so well, I would like to hear it's not a biography it's not a storybook well it's not a storybook but yes but no, no it's <laughs> I would just like to hear all the stories he has well and you're, you're a drummer too right yeah. so yeah that's pretty cool Kelly 
I, I kind of shift around from time to time. Obviously, it'd be somebody with sports. But I have to say, after last week, I'd like to spend uh, an hour or so at a table sipping a beer and telling war stories with Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, she just she captivated me. She really did with uh, her courage, her conviction, her attention to detail. Uh, as someone that would stand up for our country the way that she did, uh, I'd like to know more about them and just find out what makes them tick. McNabb? My initial reaction was to say something like Nelson Mandela, but then there's part of me that this is going to be extremely polarizing. We talk about him so much, and I would like to know if Donald Trump is who we think he is or who who we've stereotyped him or who I have stereotyped him as. To sit down with two hours and watch him eat McDonald's fries and complain about things or whatever it, it would be. He <laughs> likes his McDonald's. Every time you see a picture of him, he's... Yeah, they, they just serve McDonald's on to the, the... On the Air Force One, he gets McDonald's yeah, sometimes. Apparently had the college football team there for the White House tour, and they had Big Macs and filet of fish I think sandwiches. that had to do with the government shutdown. No, oh, I'm just okay. kidding. But I would like to... I think it would be neat to see in... Does he change? Is he who he presents himself to be on the stage the same person as you would have a glass of wine with? I'd be curious. They, they would, just launched donut sticks at McDonald's in the States. <laughs> you think Trump's in on that action? I bet you, I, I oh. bet you yeah. Back then, or what, who, would you, who would it be for you, Mac? Well, McNabb stole mine. We should have we should have oh, written these oh, out ahead of time. But my backup would be, in fact, it would have to be my mom, and to to sit down because my mom has missed so much of what's go, gone on in my life in the in the last decade, in particular. She never met my wife. She's never met my kids. She never met any of her grandchildren that uh, love her so much even though they've never met her. So I, I feel like I'm stealing a little bit from Jeff Braun, but um, my mom would, would always be my, my number one choice to spend time with if I, if I could make it happen. Would yours end the same way Jeff's would with them fighting? <laughs> oh, my mom and I would definitely have an argument. Or two or three. That's just a good but, family dinner. Would you also Absolutely. leave before the bill came? Because that's what I'd do. No, no, no. One of, the last meals, one of the last meals my mom and I ever had and I had together in a restaurant. You could still smoke. There were still smoking sections. And I, my mom finished her meal and she lit up a cigarette. And I was still eating. And I looked at her. I gave her the look that she was really good at giving me when I was in trouble. Uh-huh. And she looked at me and she goes, you're not done eating. I said, I'm not done eating. Do you mind? <laughs> and, well, it just went from there. So, uh-huh. uh, Mom, if you're listening this morning, I would do anything to have two hours with you. 204-780-6868. You can tell us who you would like to have dinner with. One listener saying, I would like to have dinner with John Candy, uh, if uh-huh. he was still alive. Who Uncle was yours, Buck. Brett? Uh, well, I was joking that it would be Spider-Man, uh, but uh, if I had to pick a living person, maybe The Rock, Dwayne mm, The Rock Johnson. That would be, yeah, be a good one. Just yeah. have him sit there and cut me down for two hours and uh, tell me it doesn't matter what my name is. And... Such a healthy eater, though, it'd be a little depressing. Well, he eats a lot, though, so yeah, he does have true. cheat days, too. His cheat His days cheat day are His cheat day is sushi, though. <laughs> really? <laughs> On Instagram. I've read about cheat days where he's talking about three pizzas and fried chicken. On Instagram, he only shows the sushi. So oh. maybe, it's, maybe that's, I like that's Rock's problem. I like sushi. We just had a conversation last week about how Fox is getting ready to resurrect Beverly Hills 90210 for a limited reboot series of sorts this year where the actors will play sort of heightened versions of themselves as they contemplate whether or not they should reboot 90210 and there was question of whether or not Luke Perry would be in it was later that day that we learned that he had a stroke 
And unfortunately, we learned yesterday that he died. Here's just a quick clip. I believe this is of him as Dylan in 90210. I just don't believe in winning through intimidation. Plus, of course, I'm doing the intimidating. It's been a long time since I've seen Beverly Hills, but that sounds like something Dylan would say. Yeah, Lauren. that's Dylan, and he was sort of that classic good, bad boy, good boy, right? He played that character of a little bit of an edge to him, but much beloved by everybody in his, you know, 90210 zip code and all the rest. And then yesterday, all sorts of accolades for him coming out. I saw one by uh, Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks' son, saying he was on an airplane with him. And he, there's this kid, these kids fighting the whole way through on the plane. And then halfway through, Luke Perry gets up, blows a balloon, hands these kids this balloon. And the kids calm down and everybody broke out into applause because he had sort of calmed the situation and, and uh, seemed by all accounts like a really nice guy. The thing that's shocking, I think, for our people is his age, 52, and the stroke. Yeah, we're learning that this is not uncommon. We tend to associate this kind of a major event with people who were older. Uh, But as I think about it, my aunt had a stroke, I think at a similar age, and it affected her for a lot, like for the rest of her life. She lost some of her mobility. Um, So yeah, it happens at a younger age. We just don't think about it. It sure does. And you have to be conscientious of so many things. We talk about, we were discussing ambulance fees the other day. Stroke, as much as heart attack time is muscle, they talk about that stroke. Time is even more critical. And I think it's a, a really good alarm bell for a lot of us. If you feel those symptoms of stroke coming on, they talk about face, F-A-C-E, and the and if you see your eyes drooping and slurring of your speech and and uh, the other the other uh, signs that you're having a stroke, do not delay. Call an ambulance and out of any tragedy like this. We have to hopefully learn something that makes us better and more aware of the things that can take us prematurely. So um, our condolences to Luke Perry's family and, and all his fans. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, did you know there are 100,000 feral cats roaming through Winnipeg? That's what I learned on Sunday evening at the Viscount Court at the Craig Street Cats Spay Getty Dinner. There were two sittings for this dinner. I was at the 5 o'clock sitting, sold out, over 200 people in that sitting to support this wonderful organization that helps cats in Winnipeg. And I was shocked to learn this about the feral cats. I learned it during dinner when they put on an episode of Dr. Carrie Prairie Vet which airs on Animal Planet, just recently wrapped up its second season. And this episode featured Craig Street Cats. Dr. Carey, by the way, is from Ashern, Manitoba. She travels around helping animals. And one of the episodes called Kitten Palooza featured Craig Street Cats. And we are joined now by Executive Director Lynn Scott, who in this episode was trapping feral cats to be spayed and neutered. Lynn, 100,000 feral cats roaming around in Winnipeg? That's right, Brett. It's... uh... Sad but true. Um, Winnipeg is kind of unique in that our history and geography have made it a prime location for population expansion for free-roaming cats. How do you expand on that a little bit? Sorry, I think we all have to summarize it. What do you mean? The number, the number is crazy. I mean, I would like to know first of all uh, how how. Is that an estimate? We have obviously haven't counted every single feral cat in the city. No, it's impossible to go out and do a nose count. But um, there are actually two uh, scientific formulae for determining uh, the bottom and the top of the population range for free-roaming cats. And um, the bottom is human population divided by 15. The 
top is human population divided by six, and then history and geography uh, determine where a particular place fits on that continuum. Due to Winnipeg's history as an agrarian center and our uh, uh, being the continental hub of grain transportation for many, many years and billions of rodents being here, um, we are <laughs> right near the top of the that. The news keeps getting better. Thanks, Lynn. Wow. <laughs> that, that, is, that is incredible. And that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. It all makes sense that, that you, you bring that up. So where are these cats hiding? Um, well, <laughs> pretty much everywhere. Um, along the riverbanks is, of course, uh, the most popular place because there's lots of uh, natural food and places to hide. But any place where they can get some shelter um, and get out of the wind in the winter. So uh, under sheds, under garages, under decks, um, if you have a porch on your house and there's a small opening, uh, there's likely to be cats under your porch. Um, any place where they can get in out of the cold, warehouses, industrial areas. Uh, junkyards are a prime location because, of course, there's lots of rodents there. Um, everywhere. So if I happen upon one of these colonies, if I'm out for a walk along the riverbank, mm-hmm. am I, is it dangerous for me? No. No. And you are not likely to happen upon a colony. These cats survive by making themselves invisible. Yeah. So how do you find them? Once you've learned how to see them, you will never not be able to see them. Yeah. Um, I first noticed them. My next door neighbor had that opening under his porch, and there were kittens being born under his porch every year, two or three litters. And I would continually ask him, have you met your new tenants yet? <laughs> and he would laugh and go on his way. Well, I got tired of seeing kittens under there, and we got started because I was pulling kittens out from under his porch. I'm sure all the cat lovers out there are going to hate my next question, but in in some ways, the cat problem and where they hide sounds like a rat problem and where they hide, and the same idea that they gather, they they form in colonies, and they kind of go underground to survive in many ways. Is that a fair comparison, or is that just how I'm picturing it more because of the feral nature of what we're talking about here? Um, I think it's a fair comparison. Um the cats were actually brought in to deal with the rat issue uh, that was tied into the grain industry. Uh, when white settlers arrived, they saw these beautiful flat fields extending for miles and miles and miles. They immediately turned over the tall grass prairie and planted oh, tall seedy grasses, um, which made all of the existing rodents jump for glee. And uh, all of the rats and mice that they brought with them from Europe <laughs> jumped for glee as well. And then they immediately set about bringing in cats to control those rodents. Well, we don't have time to, to get into all of the great things that your organization does. Uh, just very quickly, I guess, Craig Street Cats, which is at 1421 St. James Street. How many cats do you have in your facility right now? Right now on site, we have uh, 230 cats uh, that we're caring for daily. Uh, another 50 or so in foster homes, and we're feeding over 500 on the streets. CraigStreetCats.ca is the website if you want to help out. They'll take even things like gar- like Canadian Tire money. I've, I, I don't go to Canadian Tire often, but I often wonder, what am I going to do with this? I didn't know. So mm-hmm. that's that's something that you can help out with with Craig Street Cats uh, because they are taking care of all these cats, and 
You know, I don't think, I think, Greg, you aren't, is it you who doesn't like cats? Oh, no, I, I've had cats in the yeah. past. Oh, you have. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll admit it's yep. me, but yep. I'm allergic to cats, so that's part of the issue. But, yeah, yeah now that I hear this 100000 thing, I'll get all my Canadian tire money out that I can to help you out. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm allergic to them too, but I, I do love cats, so I, I am thankful that you do what you do, Lynn. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's craigstreetcats.ca. We start this half hour, Greg, in the nation's capital. Yeah, well, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, was supposed to go to Regina today. That has been cancelled. Trudeau confirming this morning that the Prime Minister will uh, be in Ottawa for private meetings. This after Cabinet Minister Jane Philpott resigned. Abigail Beeman is our Ottawa correspondent for Global National TV and joins us this morning. Good morning, Abigail but he's not going to be in Regina as scheduled today. He's taking private meetings in Ottawa. What are we What are we learning about that and what that might mean, Abigail? Yeah, so uh, perhaps too early to say this was a decision that uh, just was confirmed uh, a short time ago, but certainly fair to say that he has a very full plate within his own cabinet uh, to deal with and his own government to uh, figure out how to move forward after the uh, resignation of Jane Philbach. So he still has an event in Toronto, which he will be doing, and then it's back to Ottawa uh, instead of, as you say, to Regina. Uh, And this after he did address uh, the Jane Philbach resignation at another event uh, in Toronto last night. And we heard a change in tone from the Prime Minister at that event for the first time he said that there were more questions that needed to be answered here. And and as you may recall, up until now, we've just heard the Prime Minister say over and over again that he has done nothing wrong uh, in the case of Jody Wilson-Raybould and the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Did he hint at what those questions might be, Abigail? He did not, and he really kept his comments there brief. Uh, Of course, we'll be looking for the next possible opportunity to hear from him more fully uh, on this matter. He did say that he, you know, was aware that uh, Jane Philpott had been feeling this way for a while, and Jane Philpott is uh, very close with Jody Wilson-Raybould, had been publicly expressing her support for Jody Wilson-Raybould, but still a huge shock that somebody who is that competent, that respected, that top a player in this government uh, would choose to step away. You really can't understate the significance uh, of that move and what it what it means for the Liberal government. I know it had your office busy yesterday making calls to other cabinet ministers and MPs trying to see where their confidence was in the prime minister. Where did you end up? Do we expect more actions like this similar to Phil Potts and her resignation? So every single cabinet minister says they have full support, full confidence in Justin Trudeau. They are not leaving that cabinet table. That's 33 other uh, cabinet ministers. Now, we have heard from a couple of caucus members who uh, have either voiced their support for Jody Wilson-Raybould, for Jane Philpott on social media, or a couple who are calling for uh, a more thorough investigation of this case. Uh, A public-facing cabinet is unifying over this and and presenting a unified public front, uh, I think it's more likely that we may hear from some more uh, unimpressed uh, backbenchers than it is that we're going to see another cabinet uh, resignation. However, this is a story that has been changing in some cases by the hour, so certainly not for me to predict uh, what uh, what twist and turn will come next. Well, and one of the next uh, maybe items on a calendar for yes. those of us to look at here, we've just had our, our not only our civic budget, our provincial budget comes down Thursday. 
Thursday, and then we'll have a federal budget. And that is something that in the past has brought down governments, a non-confidence vote over the budget. I know it is over a week away, but I know there is lots of chatter about that being an opportunity for those within the Liberal Party to maybe have a final say of where this goes next. That's true. Uh, that is the case, although not uh, it, it, worth pointing out that uh, they have a large majority, so it would take uh, a lot. It certainly would be an opportunity for some to voice concerns, uh, but they uh, they would have uh, it, it have to be very significant in order for that uh, to bring down the government. But certainly, uh, that is something on the table. Something closer on the table in terms of uh, of what we're watching here is tomorrow. Uh, the prime minister's former principal secretary, Jerry Butts, a key player uh, in the government who resigned over this. He is testifying at the Justice Committee. It will be very interesting to see what he has to say uh, and how that lines up with what Jody Wilson-Raybould had to say last week. Is there any expectation there, Abigail, that it's going to counter or go against what she said or, or back any of it up in any way? Well, when Jerry Butts asked to testify, because this came from him, he issued a letter to the Justice Committee last week. He said that he believes he has evidence uh, which will help in their case. So the inference or the assumption is that something's not going to line up with Jody Wilson-Raybould's uh, story if he felt compelled to come forward. But important to uh, to note that uh, Wilson-Raybould testified for hours, gave extremely, extremely detailed testimony, uh, recollections of meetings, which she took detailed notes on. She was reading text messages. Compare that to the clerk of the Privy Council, so that's the top bureaucrat in Canada, Michael Wardek, who testified uh, prior to Wilson-Raybould and who we will hear from again. He said, no, I didn't take any notes on any of these of these meetings. So it will be interesting to see how Jerry Buss's testimony lines up uh, compared to those other two players. Does he have detailed notes? Uh, do they differ from Jody Wilson-Raybould's account? Uh, is this a question of, um, yes, we did this, but we don't think that it was uh, inappropriate. You you may remember one of the most damning allegations that Wilson-Raybould made in her testimony was was that Gerald Butts is accused of saying that there's no situation, no solution to this SNC-Lavalin case that doesn't involve some interference. So how will he respond to that direct allegation? Uh, And a reminder that the Prime Minister has yet to respond or yet to refute any specific allegations Jody Wilson-Raybould made. So that that's a big one to see how Jerry Butts is going to respond to that specific one. Abigail Beeman, Ottawa correspondent for Global National, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Abigail, thank you. Thank you. One of our uh, listeners texting us at 780-6868, weighing in via text on our question of the day, simply saying this, none of the above, we need better candidates, and this is the line that stood out for me, someone with integrity would be nice, and here we have perhaps the most integrity-filled politicians stepping aside. That's not really what we want. We want them to stick around, but they are stepping aside in order to make a point. And I just wonder how many more liberal MPs are going to have that conversation with themselves, that 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 come-to-Jesus moment, as a lot of people call it, and say, you know what, I can't stand for this any longer. Or I need they can't to... stand for it because they're worried if they stand for it, that'll affect their own results. Well, in and the, that the is typically election. what drives those is it intentions philosophical those or is it personal and political? Right, exactly. That, 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 that's going to be fascinating to see if there are any other MPs that, that step aside. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. And we are excited to bring to you our next guest because they are... 
right outside the city of Winnipeg, just outside the perimeter, and they have set a Guinness World Record. It is official. Congratulations, Loren. Where are we headed right now? Well, it's amazing corn, and it's just north of St. Adolphe, but I think they're amazing snow this month, or at least all of winter. And to tell us more, we're joined by Clint Moss, who, uh, good morning, Clint. I think this is uh, proof that all that hard work in December has paid off. Absolutely. You know, good morning, everyone. Yeah, we're pretty over the top out here. We worked hard, and on the February 10th, we were measured, and everyone says, Are you more excited? Today, I'm excited. Today, when we got this, you know, we did a giant replica of the certificate. We've got that made, and it's going to go up today. And we're excited. We are very excited. You know you're committed to build this every winter henceforth now, right, Clint? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that seems to be the common question. And yes, we're going to... I'm just scared now you're going to be... I'm going to be Googling nonstop who's trying to build them. Because I'm imagining we're going to have 10 in Canada next year. I don't know. Well, that was part of the thing. I think there was the, the winner was a Thunder Bay a snow maze. And then you decided, okay, well, we can do better than that. But you know someone else out there is going to say, well, if we just have to do one more meter, we can beat yeah. uh, the snow maze in Manitoba. So it's just going to keep growing, I imagine, Clint. Yeah, so if I'm 80 and I have an addiction <laughs> to snow mazes because I, someone's beating me and this thing is ginormous. You know, then you know that I won't have a retirement. I'll just be building snow mazes perpetually. I'm looking at the picture here, and as big as this is, you, you got lots of room to, to build more, Clint. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I sent some pictures to someone. They said, well, yeah, like the, the corn maze is so much bigger. I go, if we just mow the corn, we don't have to put walls, fill walls, move walls. Like, come on. So the reaction from Guinness Book of World Records is obviously tremendous, but what what have you been hearing from Manitobans and tourists that have come to try to navigate their way through the snow maze? Well, you know, the best story I think we've had so far is, you know, someone came up and they said, yeah, we're here for the snow maze. And we looked like, yeah, totally. Thanks for coming. But so is everyone else in line. You know, we drove from Pennsylvania. We heard about it. And this is the reason we're here. Come on. So, yeah. So I, I'm like, that is exciting. I mean, and we don't have to worry. There's no competition for snow mazes in Pennsylvania because I, <laughs> I don't think they'd get the snow quality that we can produce here in Winterpeg. How long would it take them to, did it take them to navigate the maze? Probably not as long as it took them to drive here. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's more about 30 minutes to get through the maze plus or minus 10 minutes. And it is smaller than a corn maze. And I mean, I think there's just as many decisions, but the decisions are like only four steps away versus the 30 steps that you would have on a corn maze. Now, I know when we talked to you in the fall, weather was a huge issue when it came to just keeping the business, uh, as you put it, you know, going the way you wanted it to go. But this year, we've had all that snow and all that cold. So is this your best case scenario as far as weather goes? I know you're new to the snow maze business, but is this what you needed? Well, you know what? If if I had a big eraser for a calendar, I think I'd erase the last three weekends because they're so cold. And and we were we were open, but... I mean, only the hardiest of Manitobans could bear, you know, an afternoon at minus 30, you know. So this weekend, I think, is closer to those two opening weekends we had at that minus five. And I think it's going to be a little bit crazy around here. And because, hey, we're two weeks away from melting this thing down. So, you know, we don't have control over that. So the end of the season is coming, you know, so. So what qualifies it as the world's largest, largest snow maze? Are we talking square footage? Yeah, it's square footage, but they actually they had they're 
now is the big deal. They're so specific on how to submit everything that we started measuring on the 10th. And then by the 15th, we actually received the certified documents from Barnes and Duncan land surveyors, which shout out to those guys, oldest survey group in Manitoba, and they did it for us. And then, then the process of me communicating with Guinness took us to till today. And there's a lot of little things they need, uh, but really, they just it's a square footage or square meter thing. And we did 2,789.11, and that's equals to 30,021 square feet. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really all it, when it comes down to it. The next person that makes a maze has to beat that and... I guess we're going to beat them, and then there goes that process on and on and on. What was the previous record held in Thunder Bay? 1,669. So we beat them by 1,100. Oh, wow. You crushed yeah. them. You like crushed them. 40%. Crushed that, them. That, that, yeah. is, that is very impressive. Hey, Clint, I'm looking at the picture again, and I'm thinking, if I took a drone and I flew it up above, I might be able to get through there a little bit quicker. Any, anybody brought a drone out to help navigate I, through I, the maze? I think we've had three or four droners, but, you know, they're so distracted droning that they actually don't have any way. The person that just makes more mistakes faster actually gets out quicker. <laughs> Sometimes life's not pre-calculated. Sometimes you just... Build a snow maze and see if it's going to work. Now, no people at the corn maze will often just cut through the corn and make their own path. Has anybody tried to just ram through the wall to try to get out? You know, that's the most awesome thing. All the staff say yes, and there's no repair, and there's, there's none of that going on. So there is no chance. And we do cut out every maybe five or seven minutes of walking. But, hey, at minus 30, we don't want anyone stuck in there. And that was... We had to negotiate with Guinness. They said there has to be one way in and one way out. I said, I'm sorry, but you just don't know how cold it is here. And if we did that, we get some small child lost in there indefinitely. We just can't handle that. So, so we cut out about every seven minutes of walking. Fascinating stuff. Good on you, Clint. Hey, entrepreneur uh, conversation question here. Has it been worthwhile business-wise for you to do this? Absolutely. You know, we had the worst fall season on record, meaning like we were like, okay, this is going to get a, be an interesting winter for us. And uh, so we did the snow maze, doubled down, put another 50 grand out towards an entertainment package for Manitobans. And they responded positively. And we're like, thank you, Manitobans, for supporting. It's, uh, it's awesome. All right, Clint Moss from Amaze in Corn and Amaze in Snow, the Guinness World Record holder now for biggest snow maze on planet Earth. Congratulations to you, Clint. Okay, thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us this morning. He's I, I, excited. You can oh, hear it in his voice. For remember sure. Remember when we talked to him in the fall, and that's why I brought up the fall weather, because it was just a, he said it was their worst year, right? It was so disappointing. You're running an entire business based on weather. You're, you've been an entrepreneur, Greg. You know he rolls the dice on building this giant snow maze, just hopes some people come. And not only did they come, but he wins. A, he beats the world record. So. Well, I, I meant to ask him if it cost him a, a, you know, a winter in Mexico or Florida or well, something. hang on a second. He's still here. Hey, Clint, are you still there? Let me just bring him back on. Uh, hang on. How do I do this? Nope. Hang on. Just give me one moment. I'm figuring. Okay. Clint, are you still there? 
Hey, I am still here. I am still here. <laughs> hey, Clint, sorry to talk about you behind your back while you're still here. Did this cost you a, a typical winter vacation that maybe normally you get? Yeah, and we're trying to figure out. We thought it's done, and and because we're getting into zipline season and zipline trading, so now I'm. I kind of said I've got to plan a trip with my wife to Mexico just so we can go and decompress and not move on the beach, just like lay there. She doesn't want to hear warm. you muttering snow maze things in your sleep either anymore. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. You know, because I'm the crazy idea person, and she's the execution, execution, and the hiring and the scheduling. So, yeah. Oh, it's it's been. It's been an interesting winter for us because this is not normal. But this record today or yesterday we got it, you know, that's kind of like the fuel that keeps you energized to go on. I'll give you one more word then uh, if you're going to go to Mexico, Clint. Sand maze. <laughs> I'm going to be running up and down the beach naked a sand maze and she's going to go looking for another husband. Oh, your wife will kill you. Don't do it, Clint. Yeah. Clint, when's the last she'll have, weekend? She'll, she'll trade me off. Clint, have you I'll picked a, a closing weekend yet? You know what? Tentatively, it's uh, this weekend. We've got great weather. Next weekend looks like it's great weather, too. Now, the big question with this winter polar thing going on, are we going to make it through spring break? I think we're rolling the dice and saying no, no chance. But, you know, we'll stay open as long as Mother Nature wants to keep us rolling. All right. Clint Moss from Amazing Snorn. Amazing Snorn. You said you, you're Good Ron Burgundy. Yeah, I, it's Amazing Snorn. Yeah. Well, it's a corn maze and a snow maze. Think about it, Clint. <laughs> amazing Snorn. Brett will need a free pass if you if you uh, take that on as, a, as an official title for this. <laughs> amazing Snorn. Wow. Yeah, I, the Amazing Corn, I have... I've only tried it, I think I've tried it three times. I have never been able to conquer it. But I love going to that maze. And I know that it's open way earlier than the fall. They open it much sooner. And Clint has often it's said, a great place. I don't know why people don't come in the summer. But I, I've associated it with going in the fall. It's a, it's kind of cool to go at night on, a, on an October night because it's got that Halloween feel. It's sort of creepy out there. They have the haunted forest, which I haven't done that either. So hopefully this year I'll actually get to the haunted forest and I will conquer that maze if it kills me you just don't go when it's hot he talked about not wanting to go when it's cold i've been when it's hot and you get in and it's like a wall of corn and the wind's not moving and you're sweating and you're angry and kids are like how do we get out of here and you're like smash through the corn no clint i don't <laughs> he's still an old so he probably heard you say that <laughs> other kidding, kids do that not lorenz kids <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.